God is at work through His local church and through the teaching of His Word. This morning on MyBridge Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from Lincoln Berean Church. Here is Pastor Brian Clark. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, for he has risen. This past week, I felt compelled to contact a friend of mine from college. He's probably my best friend in college. He was a groomsman in my wedding. But as often happens over the years, we haven't seen each other much. But every time we get together, we pick up just as if there, uh, there was no break in the relationship. But I just felt compelled to contact him. And my heart was saddened when he told me his son had been killed in an automobile crash. His son was a great kid. He'd been accepted to be a missionary. He was out raising support, was hit by a car, was immediately killed. And I was reminded death is real. And it's powerful. And it breaks our hearts. Death is like the ultimate bully. He's out there. We all know he's out there. He hides in the shadows. You can ignore him. You can pretend like he's not out there. But we all know he's there, and we all know it's only a matter of time. He's going to kick in the door, and he's going to break your heart. So here's the deal. If the body of Jesus is still in a tomb, somewhere around Jerusalem, then it's game over. Then there is no hope. Your loved one has simply died. And you will never see them again. End of story. But if the tomb is empty, well, now that changes everything. That's what we want to talk about this morning. If you have a Bible, turn with us to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians 15. Corinthians was written about 20 years-ish after the resurrection of Christ, so well within the lifetime of the eyewitnesses of the events. The way Corinthians is organized is kind of a question-answer format. The Corinthians had sent a list of questions to Paul. Paul was answering them back in a letter. In chapter 15, the nature of the question is obvious in verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So the issue was, 
Is there a resurrection of the dead? Now, what's meant by that is much more than just life after death. Both the Jews and the Greeks believed that there was life after death. That's not really the question. The question had to do with whether or not there was a literal, physical, bodily resurrection of the dead. Now, a lot of people today believe in life after death. But what they believe about that is purely made up. They just come up with some idea that has no basis in support or fact. Christianity is different from that. We do believe there is a literal, physical, bodily resurrection to come. And our belief is rooted in our belief that Jesus literally, physically, bodily rose from the dead. So shall we. So that's the nature of the conversation in chapter 15. So I want to go back to the opening verses of the chapter where Paul establishes what we would consider the earliest uh, creed of the Christian church. Verse 1, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel by which I preach to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. So he's about to deliver the good news, the gospel, the foundational creed of the Christian church by which we are saved. Verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, died, but he didn't just die, he died for our sins. The fulfillment of a promise, according to the scriptures. The death of Jesus was not a plan gone badly. It was the plan. From the beginning, from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, all the way through. It was pictured and foreshadowed uh, again and again through Noah, through Abraham, through the law, through the tabernacle, through the temple, all the way to the fulfillment in the death of Christ. He died to pay the penalty of our sin. He became the ultimate sacrifice once for all. That sin might be paid for. It became the propitiation as we learned in Hebrews. He made the offering that satisfied the wrath of God. That he might offer forgiveness and salvation in return. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Again, both the prophets and Jesus himself predicted on the third day he would rise from the dead. The theological logic goes like this. It was sin that brought forth death. Eternal spiritual death, which is pictured by physical death. When Jesus paid the price for sin, Jesus in essence conquered sin. Therefore, having conquered sin, he also conquered the 
consequence of sin. Therefore, death itself was defeated. In verse 12, when Paul talks about raised from the dead, no resurrection of the dead, in the original Greek language, there is no the That's called the definite article. It doesn't exist in the original. It's actually not saying Jesus rose from the dead that he might someday die again. But rather the idea he didn't just rise from the dead. He rose from death. The principle of death. He conquered death once and for all because the cause of death has been dealt with Therefore, death was defeated. So that's the idea there. When Jesus rose from the dead, it was evidence that the price for sin had had been paid. How do we know God was satisfied with the offering of Jesus on the cross? Answer, if God was satisfied, then sin has been conquered. The evidence would be in the resurrection, having conquered the state of death once for all time. Now, I understand there's a lot of people today that find the idea that Jesus rose from the dead to be rather silly. As a matter of fact, this Easter Sunday, they will give little thought to the message of Easter. They don't care. It's not relevant to them. But I would suggest to you, those people that laugh at the thought of a resurrected Savior, do not do so because they've done thorough research and concluded it's not true. They do so because they want to be their own gods. They want to run their own life. They don't want God intruding into their affairs. So they just summarily dismiss the idea of a resurrected Savior. I once heard a scientist say, I can't believe in the resurrection. I'm a scientist. People don't rise from the dead. To which I would say, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. They don't. But then again, isn't that the point? People don't just rise from the dead. So if it's possible that Jesus actually did, wouldn't we have to sit up and take notice? Wouldn't we have to come to grips with that? That appears to be some sort of a miracle. Something happened. If Jesus actually rose from the dead. Now over the years, there's been a number of theories that have been put forth to explain away the resurrection of Jesus. Now, for starters, I would say it's very interesting that theories are necessary at all. If the resurrection of Jesus is just so ridiculous and silly, why do we need theories to explain it away? But those theories, the swoon theory, the idea that Jesus, that uh, Jesus' disciples stole the body, The idea that uh, his followers conspired some sort of a a lie to to, uh, fool people into believing Jesus rose from the dead. All these theories have, for the most part today, gone away. They're just so uh, ridiculous. They're so unsubstantiated. They've just kind of drifted away. 
One of the theories that's been a little bit more popular in our lifetime is the idea that it's just some sort of a legend. That somewhere along the way, this legend of a resurrected Savior kind of came forth. That's what it is. But that's actually very easy to dispute. All the experts agree. It takes roughly four to five hundred years for a legend to develop of a historical figure. We know for certain that the Gospels were written well within the lifetime of the eyewitnesses to the events. We're reasonably sure that three of the four Gospels were written before 70 A.D., We know Corinthians was written about 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. As a matter of fact, Paul goes on in this passage and he says, By the way, here's the names of the people that saw the resurrected Christ. Cephas, which is Peter. He names James. He says, by the way, there were at least 500 people that saw the resurrected Christ at one time. He even adds to the discussion, most of them are still alive. Feel free to go talk to them. But what is presented in this text in Corinthians is considered the earliest Christian creed. And we can date this back to about two years after the resurrection of Jesus. So we know with great certainty that within two years, they were declaring a message of a crucified, buried, resurrected Savior. Again, well within the lifetime of the eyewitnesses of these events. There's just virtually no chance that it's some sort of a legend that developed over time. The Christian church did not create the resurrection. The resurrection created the Christian church. So Paul identifies this core creed. Now to verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified it against God that he raised Christ Whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep, died in Christ, have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. So here's the argument. Whether or not those of us that have accepted Christ as Savior will experience a literal, physical, bodily resurrection one day is directly tied to whether or not Jesus literally, physically, bodily rose from the dead. One is connected To the other. Paul's argument is if Jesus is still in the tomb, then we've got nothing. 
As a matter of fact, he goes so far as to say preachers like me were liars. We're deceivers. We're actually offending God by proclaiming something that simply isn't true. He says that the body of Jesus is still in the grave. Your faith, it's worthless. Your sins are not forgiven. You're still in your sin. Welcome back, shame and guilt. You stand condemned before a holy God. Your loved one that perished, by the way, they're gone. Game over. No hope. Gone forever. And we, as a people, are just a people to be pitied. Those are pretty strong words. It's very interesting. We're talking about 20 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And the Apostle Paul is putting a target on the resurrection, saying to the critics and opponents of Christianity, here's the jugular vein. You prove that the body of Jesus is rotting away in a tomb somewhere and Christianity falls. End of story. Now stop and think about this. There were many, many, many very powerful people that wanted Christianity stopped to such a degree there was a slaughter in the first century of Christians. And yet the Apostle Paul, 20 years after the resurrection, says, all you have to do is show me the body of Jesus and everything falls apart. But what history tells us is that's not what happened. What happened is the opposite of that. Just within Jerusalem alone, the very place where the resurrection took place, the church exploded Under great persecution, the church grew to over 10,000 people in just a matter of months. What is the explanation for that other than the tomb was empty and people believed? If that's true, then our faith is not worthless. It's of great value. We're not still in our sins. Our sins have been forgiven Our loved ones have not perished. It's not game over. They're not gone forever. Death doesn't win. The bully is not victorious. Jesus conquered sin and death. The story's not over. The best is yet to come. The future is glorious. That is at the heart of the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 20. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep. So what does he mean by asleep? In both the Old and New Testament, the term asleep is used for Christians or the people of God who have died. It's not talking about some sort of a soul sleep. The Bible doesn't teach that. It's talking about the body. So the spirit, the immaterial part, goes to be with Jesus, absent from the body, present with the Lord. But the body is laid in the grave. But because of the promise of a resurrection at the return of Christ, the metaphor is sleep. 
Because that body will awaken, will be reunited with that spirit, will be changed into an immortal body and ushered into the new heaven and the new earth where it will be glory forever. So it identifies the resurrected Christ as the first fruits. That's language from the Old Testament, from the Old Covenant. It's the idea that the first part of the crop was brought in as an offering to God with the understanding that this is the first offering, expecting a grand harvest to come with the blessing of God. The first readers would have clearly understood what's being said is the resurrection of Jesus is the first fruit. Jesus has resurrected from the dead. Very much alive in the presence of God, having completed his assignment. That is the down payment. It's the guarantee that there's a grand harvest to come. At the return of Christ, there will be a resurrection. This body, literally, physically, will rise from the dead, be reunited with my spirit, changed and ushered in to the new heaven and the new earth forever. Verse 21, for since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. At the end of the story, death doesn't win. Death dies. Because Jesus conquered sin and death once for all time. For those who are in Christ, for those who have accepted Jesus as Savior, there is a resurrection, literal, physical, bodily resurrection. If that's true, that changes everything. This is a big crowd this morning. And I am just telling you this. Some of you in the room this morning, before we gather again next Easter, will experience the pain of deep, deep loss. The bully is out there and he is real. And he is going to kick down your door. And he is going to break your heart and inflict Pain like you've never known before. In that hour of deep pain and loss, you have to remember Easter isn't about family gatherings. It's not about bunnies and eggs. It's about the message of hope that Jesus rose from the dead and in that hour of deep pain and need, you must remember the story's not over. It's not over. 
Death doesn't win. The bully is not victorious. Jesus has conquered sin and death once for all time. For those who are in Christ, the best is yet to come. And in your hour of need, you have to remember that. That is the message of Easter. Some of you in the room this morning, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Over the last few years, you have experienced deep loss. Some of you have lost a child. Some of you have lost a spouse, a parent, a dear friend. And you know that pain is real. It's devastating. There's days when you're not sure you'll make it one more day. Let's imagine we gathered together and we talked about that and we shared our stories. And then somehow, miraculously, we gathered in a time machine. And we went back to first century Jerusalem. And we gathered around the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea that first Easter morning. Understanding what's at stake. Understanding what's at stake is my sins and whether they're forgiven or will condemn me. What's at stake is my loved one is gone and I want to know, is a game over or will I see them again? Everything is at stake in that moment. And we gather around that tomb and we wait. Imagine what it would be like if we just waited and we waited and we waited. The sun is setting. No, Jesus. Jesus is simply rotting away in the tomb. In that moment, we of all people would just be a people to be pitied. Contrast that to what actually happened. We are gathered around that tomb and we understand what's at stake in this moment is everything. And suddenly, out of nowhere, there is the glorious resurrected Christ. Literally, physically, bodily, he walked, he talked, he ate They touched him. He bore the scars from the cross. It was the resurrected Jesus who had conquered sin and death once and for all. In that moment, we would know my faith is not worthless. It has great value. I am not in my sins. My sins have been forgiven. I would know that my loved one is not perished. It's not game over. There will be a resurrection and the best is yet to come. And we are, of all people, a people filled with hope. You have to remember that is the message of Easter. And it is filled with good news. It is filled with hope. Jesus rose from the dead. The tomb is empty. And that, my friends, changes everything. Our Father, we're thankful this morning that the tomb is empty. 
that the many of us who have lost loved ones understand this is not game over. But there is coming a resurrection and the best is yet to come. And our future is glorious in Christ. Lord, that's what we celebrate together as your people this morning. With hearts filled with hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Brian Clark at Lincoln Berean Church. If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, check out Heard On Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at mybridgeradio.net.